2: everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Food, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Candy Boatwright, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Dr. Sarah Hall about her new book, Sown in the Stars, Planting by the Signs. Dr. Hall is a professor of agriculture and natural resources at Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. Dr. Sarah Hall, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
2: Sarah, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about
1: yourself. Sure. So um, I am from Kentucky. I'm from Madison County, sort of central Kentucky region, Um, and I uh, grew up spending a lot of time Every Sunday, basically going to uh, my granny's in Estill County, just a little bit east, uh, kind of getting into the mountainous region um, in eastern Kentucky. And I talk a little bit in the introduction about kind of... how those trips really sort of instilled in me um, a love of nature. And also uh, I would observe gardens along the drive um, and sort of, you know, take, take note of what was happening um, in the neighbor you know in the neighbors uh from that were near my my granny's house and just uh, found it really kind of interesting to see gardens and how each one kind of reflected individual personalities a little bit of people um and so that was when i was younger and you know not necessarily um really plugged into or thinking about, um, planting by the signs. I did always see a calendar hanging on my granny's wall that many people are probably familiar with. Um, you know, they typically are kind of in black and red, um, font, uh, and come from different places, uh, that will use them as advertisements. So they'll have kind of a customized part at the top. And then, um, we'll have these interesting looking symbols on them, uh, to represent sort of the moon sign for each day. I didn't really know that growing up that that's what that was. Um, but I always saw those calendars. And so, um, then I went to Appalachian state university in North Carolina to do my undergrad, uh, and took an intro to Appalachian studies course. And that really sort of introduced to me this idea that there are, you know, people and professionals who, um, who look at different uh, aspects of the Appalachian region and write on it and all that kind of stuff, um, which I found really interesting. Sort of for my uh, graduate degrees, both my master's um, and PhD, I did at University of Kentucky and kind of uh, really focused on just field ecology kind of work and in particular restoration ecology. So I looked at um, forest uh, restoration on surface mines for my master's and then for my PhD, it was grassland restoration uh, in the region. And so, um, I was lucky to get a job at Berea college teaching, uh, started back in 2011 and had the opportunity to develop, um, a course of my own and, um, decided to do that on Appalachian plants and people. So sort of how Appalachian, um, People have used various plants, um, thinking primarily about native plants, uh, really, when I developed a course for things like craft or food or medicine, Um, but then as I taught it, um, I really... Um, recognized that agriculture was also an important aspect of what, of of how people had been interacting with plants. Um, And I ran across this idea of planting by the signs in the Foxfire book and Foxfire 11. And I also heard people um, talking about it, um, you know, kind of over, over time. And so Um, And there was actually one man uh, before I came to Berea, I had worked at the Kentucky State University Research Farm. um, And there was um, a gentleman who had stopped by and gave me some seeds. And he mentioned to me that I needed to plant them under a certain sign and they would go an inch deeper than at any other time. Um, And I don't remember what that sign was or what that time was, but I just remembered um, him saying that. And so um, that also just sort of Kind of all of these little bits um, in the back of my mind came together when I was able to develop a sabbatical project um, for the 2018-2019 school year um, that sort of culminated into this project. So um, I ended up interviewing uh, a little under two dozen uh, farmers, gardeners in Kentucky who do Plant by the Signs. Recorded those interviews and um, had Meg Wilson, who joined me and is the photographer on the project. She did really beautiful work. Um, and I'm just, you know, really thrilled um, with with, yeah, the book coming out of it. When I started the project, it seemed um, it still felt a little bit ridiculous for me to say that I was going to write a book at that point in time. I was like, I mean, I think there's a book here, but I've never actually done that kind of writing. We'll see how it goes. Um, and so it's been just really great to get it out in the world and be getting really positive um, feedback from it. I'm I'm really thrilled that I was able to capture um, this knowledge, you know, while um, while people um are or were still here at the time um there have been five five different people have passed away since I did those interviews um and so I'm I just because many people who do this are getting older um and also just because things happen we never know um you know I'm really glad that I was able to capture that um when I was and it's been really great to talk to some of the family members um of those folks who have passed who are just you know really thrilled to have that um yeah and one of the things that i that i say whenever i get a chance um you know is just everybody everybody can do this right you can we all have these things in our pockets now that have the ability um to record conversation that you have and so you know if there's um elders in your family you know um sit down and talk with them and record you just um you know, the 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 meaning that there is in being able to listen uh, to voices, I think, is is really important. And um, it's something that when I took that intro to Appalachian Studies course back uh, during my undergrad, one of the assignments was to do that. And I, I did that with my granny and. Um, on a tape, you know, a cassette tape recorder was what we did in those days. Um, And she passed away um, in 2017. And I, um, I cannot, I have not been able to locate that tape. And it's just one of sort of the, my biggest regrets is that I can't, um, you know, multiple moves happened, et cetera. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happened to it, but um, you know, I would, I would love to be able to hear her voice. It would just be, um, you know incredibly meaningful so that's one thing that i tell people is um you know definitely talk to talk to people in your lives sit down um you know hit the record button there are there are advantages to that sort of formality um you know that uh you end up sometimes asking questions um that you wouldn't necessarily just in conversation um you know there's also downsides right uh, it's it can be a little bit um sort of awkward or whatever you know if you're sitting down with someone you know and there's this recorder in between you um but i think the advantages far outweigh any kind of awkwardness or weirdness um that might come about from it
2: that's amazing and i think you mentioned at the end of the book that those um audio the audios from your interviews are available yes
1: Yes. Yeah, they absolutely are. So there's, um, over 18 hours of recorded audio. Um, and it's, uh, there's also transcriptions. If people are really interested in certain topics, they can do searches through there. Um, and so if you just, if people will just search for Google, um, Berea college archives, planting by the signs, they'll get to the, the digital, um, sort of box it's called that has all the files in there that has, um, all of those audio recordings, and um, there really is a lot to be said for listening to um, to the folks saying their words. So whenever I um, have an opportunity to do, to do presentations or that sort of thing about the book, I I incorporate some of the audio clips. Um, in part, it just seems really odd to me to like read quotes from people that I interviewed when I hear their voice in my head. And I want other people uh, to be able to hear that too, but it is, um, there is something really special about, uh, hearing it in, in their voices.
2: That's amazing. And I think, um, you've answered this somewhat, but what, what was kind of the catalyst for beginning actually writing the book?
1: Yeah. I, um, I, I really, I was excited about the idea of going and interviewing people. So, um, on this topic, I knew that I wanted to do that. And then I also just sort of had a desire to challenge myself a little bit in terms of, um, you know, my academic development, my learning. Um, and it seemed like writing a book like this would very much do that. Um, so You know, it was, it took me quite a bit of time to try to find my voice um, sort of as that kind of writer because I really was used to doing very straightforward. you know, where word count is something that you are, you know, in scientific papers, you are aiming for dense, uh, getting all the information in there, not adding in extra words, you know, um, sort of being precise and to the point. And uh, this is very different writing, obviously, um, you know, trying to, it's also quite challenging, especially sort of that middle chapter called the followers, where I'm you know, kind of give the biographical sketches of each person that I interviewed. That was incredibly challenging for a number of reasons. Um, you know, I just felt a lot of pressure in, um, in trying to communicate to the reader enough, um, enough information and enough sort of sense of who this person was, um, who in some cases, you know, obviously I only got a tiny glimpse of who they are, right? I went and interviewed, you know, somewhere between 30, 30 minutes to maybe an hour and a half, um, you know, and often got to walk around their gardens and that sort of thing and maybe have some informal conversation. But still, it's such a small glimpse. um, But I wanted to make sure that I was accurate in everything that I said um, and also bring in, you know, Bring in a little bit of that personality, things beyond um, what was strictly in the recorded interview, um, to give the reader a sense of that. And so, um, those those pieces of writing, I felt a lot of um, pressure to to get to work on them as I went along, right? Because a lot of that not in the recording stuff it's easy to forget about if you are going on and, you know, um, interviewing other people and then trying to go back and think about it. So, um, so I tried to do those kind of, as I went along, especially for those, um, for those aspects that weren't necessarily in the recording. Um, and then the, uh, transcribing itself was also an incredibly, um, (laughs) sort of tedious process that I had been warned about, but, um, I had never done it beyond that really, um, that interview a very long time ago with my granny during my undergrad. Um, and so I just didn't have a, an understanding that it might take a half a day or even a whole day to do, you know, a 20 minute interview to, to transcribe a 20 minute interview. Um, and there are, technological tools these days, like, uh, computer programs that can do that, but they are not able to handle real thick accents very well, right? So, um, you generally end up essentially doing it manually anyway, um, because there's so much that has to be corrected, but, um, I also recognize and realize how incredibly valuable it was for me to spend so many hours listening and transcribing all those interviews because it made the writing of other pieces so much easier. I mean, for the other chapters, I was able to, you know, sort of use post its or highlights in my Word documents to sort of remind me, like, oh, yeah, this is a good thing to revisit in that chapter or on this topic or all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of a really long-winded answer to your question, but um, but that's a couple aspects of why it seemed really appealing to me.
2: Your narrative is beautifully written. I, I think your your science background comes through, but your the narrative and how you portrayed the people that you interviewed was absolutely it was beautiful. It was so fun to read. I loved it. So I think you definitely accomplished what you were hoping to with that.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> Absolutely.
2: Um, so one thing in your introduction that I thought was kind of interesting, it was a, a, a blurb that you wrote about that you felt that women were primarily responsible for handing down the practice of planting by the signs. Could you talk a little bit about that and um, how that came out as you were interviewing and researching?
1: Yeah. So, um, I did interview a number of men. So I like to make, make that clear. Um, when, when that topic is brought up, but most of them learned from a woman in their life. So a mother-in-law or grandmother, um, a neighbor in one case, um, there, there is one, one person for whom that does not hold true that actually, um, learned, from a man um, that that was his neighbor, but um, for the rest, it was women. And you know, I've this question has come up um, a number of times, and so i thought about it. I think um, there's probably a an aspect of timing here, and you know, the fact that sort of um, a lot of men, um, you know, were. Responsible to to go work in the mines or to go work in the factory or do whatever that um, you know income generating job was in the family while while women were often home with the children and doing you know the, all the farming and gardening and <laughs> responsible for feeding everybody and caring for the children um, you know just a couple generations back right and in many cases that's either who I was interviewing or that's. Who they learned from is sort of um, within that time period. Um, you know, and so I think that probably plays uh a role in there. Um, but it is also interesting in um in that in a number of cases, people that I interviewed said, you know, well, my dad didn't believe it. He just believed in planting in the ground, you know, or um one woman she said her, you know, her husband said he didn't believe. He doesn't, (laughs) um, doesn't believe in it. He thinks it's voodoo, you know? And so there, uh, it is interesting and I don't know, um, you know, I don't know exactly what to make of it, but, um, you know, it does make me wonder if there's some, if there's a little more skepticism or something sometimes, um, you know, that, that women are more, um, are more accepting of it, you know, especially, um. Yeah, if they are the ones that are learning about um, the farming and gardening uh, from other women for those reasons that um, I just mentioned, then, you know, maybe that's some piece of it.
2: Mm -hmm. Very cool. I wondered if you could actually elaborate a little bit on that planting in the ground, because that comes up several times versus the planting by the signs. Could you talk a little bit more about what you think people meant by that phrase?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think essentially when people say um, that they just plant in the ground um, or when the signs are in the ground, occasionally that's said, but most of the time it's just um, that they plant in the ground. It's just in reference to, you know, planting in the garden when the weather is favorable, you've got time. You know (laughs) and which is how you know most like that's how most people uh garden right that's um certainly how um you know how i did prior to doing this project um and it certainly came up in a number of interviews that um that it is hard to strictly follow the signs if you have a full-time job and, you know, and you're doing this on the side, right? So, um, in one case, Jane post said she wasn't able to really strictly follow this until she retired. Right. And she could really plan things out, look at the calendar and say, you know, okay, it's, you know, three days from now and four days from now are my good days to get X in the ground. So what I need to do before then is this and this, um, you know, and sort of get out and do that. So it can be challenging otherwise. Um, Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of planting in the ground refers to just, you know, planting when you can and not necessarily, um, paying attention to the signs. Great.
2: Um, could you talk a little bit also, it came up, um, I think in the introduction and then in, um, some of the people that you interviewed that there was a German or a Pennsylvania Dutch, connection to which i found really surprising can you talk a little bit about that
1: yeah so i think um you're probably talking about debbie cook um in particular and um i can well i'll i'll read a little section maybe um that's relevant for that and but i'll also just mention that the biodynamic um calendar and almanac is a result of um research that took place in Germany um, to sort of establish, and it's actually still ongoing. So um, Mariah Thune is the main uh, woman who sort of conducted a lot of that research. She has passed away, but her son and now her grandchildren actually are continuing that research um, and work to establish when the best times to do all of the different things are. So um, in the biodynamic um, calendar and almanac, and I get into this, there's a chapter on calendars and almanacs um, that kind of goes through and talks about differences and similarities. Um, I only interviewed one person who uses the biodynamic um, calendar, but in it um, there are no sort of universally bad signs or killing signs as they're called. Um, It's just, each one is designated either as a leaf fruit, root, or flower sign, and so whichever one it is, that's the part of the plant that's going to be favored when you're in that sign. They do have blackout periods, but that's based on planetary aspects and all kinds of other stuff it's not just strictly the different moon signs um, sorry that's a bit of a tangent that can happen sometimes <laughs> i get off on those um, but yeah that's so a lot of work uh, was done in germany um to establish that biodynamic calendar and almanac um but debbie um that you were i think referring to i'm gonna turn here to um to her pages um so we can I can get that relevant piece here. Should be around just a second here. Takes me a second sometimes to find. Here we go. Um, okay. So um, I'm just going to read a short little quote here from, um, from her section. This is on page 60. Um, and this is Debbie Cook of Letcher County. Debbie recalls with a smile uh, Josephine's familiarity with the audacity of the crows in the area. Uh, this is, I'm starting a little bit earlier than I meant, but anyway, Josephine Spangler-Cook was her mother-in-law that she learned from. Um, when planting corn, she insisted that each kernel be covered quickly lest the crows start calling, planting corn, planting corn, to alert the masses. Josephine considered the use of a farmer's almanac, which tells readers when to do things, a form of cheating. Instead, she used a calendar from the local garden supply store. Debbie still uses a similar one put out by the Letcher County Soil Conservation District. Debbie's Pennsylvania Dutch and Swiss Mennonite ancestors brought two books with them, an almanac and a Bible. And this is Debbie's quote. Quote, and that kind of floored me to think that 300 years ago, they were studying the stars and planting stuff. I feel like it's kind of part of my heritage, because I'm a little bit more than half German. And I know that to my ancestors, that was important. So it becomes more important to me, end quote. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit um, more of that sort of connection uh, there as well
2: just found that super fascinating. And, and her quote also that you read about 300 years ago, they had a Bible and an almanac and they were able to be totally self sufficient, you know, and way cooler than we can now. It's really fascinating. Thanks for reading that. Um, wondered if you would like to talk a little bit about your discussion on almanacs and calendars, if you want to break them apart or handle each separately, but um surprising that there are so many different almanacs that people use if you want to talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, so um this was something that I was I didn't really realize uh until I started the project and at some point a couple interviews in I realized oh I need to I need to be sure to ask what calendar or almanac everybody uses and so um you know that became one of my questions and uh pretty much although in some cases even before I asked that question people would have their their calendar out and often they would share um a calendar with me from a previous year um, but yeah, so there, most people are familiar with the Old Farmer's Almanac. That's the most common one. It has a yellow cover, um, you know, and, and is kind of the one that is most widely available and that most people are familiar with. Uh, but there are a number of other different Farmer's Almanacs. Um, and they kind of what I tell people is, what is consistent across the board is that it's not always clear how they do the astrological calculations. Um, but what they will say is that their their system is the best and the most accurate. Right, so you should so you should get theirs because it's the best. Um, and that pretty much, uh, stays true. So, um, there is also a farmer's almanac that has an orange cover. There is the Harris farmer's almanac. Um, there is, uh, the bears agricultural almanac. Um, and that one is apparently, um, is, is Amish and is used by um, a lot of Amish folks. Um, and so that's kind of, that's most of the major farmers' almanacs. Um, then in terms of calendars, uh, there are a couple different companies that put them out. Um, most of them follow their um, their schedule of when is what follows the old farmers' almanac for the most part. Um, and I, I provide in... Um, The first, kind of after the introduction, so the first real chapter called The Basics, I provide a little bit of background about how these things are calculated, what they're based on, um, and there are two different major systems, the tropical and sidereal, and so depending on which of those is used, you can end up with, you know, dates that are, One and a half days different um, than others, and sort of in this system you have two to two and a half days during that 28 day cycle of the moon in each of the 12, uh, different signs. So, you know, to be a day and a half off out of the two to two and a half day window, um, you know, is a decent difference, but it's, there's a reason for it. It's, it's, uh, dependent on sort of where the start and end and how things are calculated, um, is, but, Um, Yeah. So the calendars are typically distributed, um, you know, from various businesses, either um, garden supply places. As I mentioned, um, Debbie gets hers from the conservation district. She's still, um, I actually just saw her last week, stayed um, and was was able to visit with her. And she gave me, she had gotten an extra of the 2023 (laughs) one from the conservation district and gave it to me. Um, That one is interesting in that, you know, extension, like extension service, Extension agents um, typically will not, they get a lot of questions about planting by the signs. I think, Um, you know, there are lots of growers that do this, but they, you know, from an official standpoint, can't necessarily endorse it or say like you know that they do but a couple people that i um interviewed said that they knew that their extension agent even though they couldn't officially endorse it that they did it personally you know that they followed the signs which i thought was interesting and in the case of um debbie in letcher county the conservation district um actually puts out that calendar because i think they know that there's a lot of interest um in it and um you know, it provides some advertisement for them, um, you know, so that if people are interested in other programming or whatever, they've got their phone number website up there and that sort of thing. Um, So yeah, the other besides sort of farm related supply stores. Another, um, common source for these calendars now is funeral homes. Um, and actually the funeral home here in Berea, um, one of my coworkers brought one in that, um, that they put out. And so, uh, that's kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> not exactly sure what to say about that, but, um, they see that seems to be a really kind of still consistently, um, you know, a common source for those calendars. And people will go get them in the fall. They usually come out around Halloween or um, Thanksgiving time. And then if you're trying to look for one um, this time of year, you know, we're in June, uh, it can be pretty challenging because usually places order those get them in the fall, and then they have them distributed, you know, pretty much by the beginning of the year or definitely, you know, end of February, they're going to be, they're going to have those out. So um, it's really, it's kind of interesting. Everybody has their source for where they get their calendar. Um, And they, in most cases, people also use that calendar then as a as a place to record their gardening activities, right? So they'll write down on the date when they planted their different things, or if they canned something, um, or that sort of thing, they'll, they'll write that and keep their, um, gardening records on it. Um, which is, which is pretty neat. And it's in that way, the calendars are a, an easier format to use than like the almanacs don't, Typically make it really easy to keep your records within, you know, the dates that they fall. Uh, So most people, you know, some people will have both. um, But for the for the most part, people will have a calendar that they um, will use and then keep their records on.
2: happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Very cool. Um, Would you like to go through and talk a little bit about the different signs and how you kind, I know towards the end of the book, you talk about that there's, it's not all, everybody doesn't agree exactly when you plant or when you, but if you want to kind of go through and Um, talk about what you do personally or what you saw the majority of people doing in relation to the signs and planting?
1: Yeah. So, um, so yes, I can talk about that a little bit. Um, There's sort of two different aspects of this. So one is um, just the phases of the moon. So within that 28 or so day cycle, um, and it that one also apparently uh, depends on how it's calculated. So um, it's somewhere between 27 and a half to 29 days. Um, but let's just say 28 days, um, the cycle of the moon. Um, you've got kind of two major halves um, between the new moon to the full moon. That's often referred to as a light or growing moon. So that's when the visible part of the moon is getting bigger, right? Or waxing. Um, And that half of the cycle is when you would want to plant above ground crops. So that's anything that produces you know, what you harvest above the ground. Um, And then the other half of the moon would be then between the full moon to the new moon um, when it's waning or getting smaller, the visible part of the moon. And that half of the cycle is when you would want to plant below ground crops. Um, So, you know, anything that produces below the ground that you harvest, your onions, carrots, beets, all that kind of stuff. So that's sort of at the really broadest level um, kind of how the phases of the moon works into it. But then, um, you add on top of that, the sign. Um, and as I said, you have essentially two to two and a half days in each sign in that entire 28 day cycle. So, um, you would ideally hit both, um, the phase of the moon that's favorable for what you're planting and then also a good sign. So, um, Everybody that I talked to um, referred to the signs by the body part names, and this is um, an interesting thing. So we have um, sort of the constellation names that people are familiar with. Most most people know their sun sign, so that's. Um, the month during which that constellation was on the other side of the sun from the perspective of the earth. So we have a month in each of that, you know, that full 12 month year um, for each of the 12 signs. Um, So the signs then are Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. So that's the 12 signs. um, And those were also sort of going in order of how they happen or how they occur. Um, But then each of those has an associated body part. um, And that's how most people referred to them in the interviews. Um, And so I'll just read, I'll just read straight down those um, as well. So starting with Aries, it's head, neck, arms, breast, heart, bowels, kidneys, or reins. uh, That's two different names for the same one. Loins or secrets, two different names for the same one. And then thighs, knees, legs, and feet. Um, And so you've got those different signs that occur. um, And some generalizations to make um, are that... um, Two really good or fruitful or uh, favorable signs when you would want to plant things um, would be like Cancer Breast or um, Scorpio the Secrets. Um, those are two really good uh, signs pretty universally to do things in. Um, two universally kind of bad killing signs when you don't want to be planting. You would only want to be doing things like weeding or um cultivating uh killing pests you know if you have insect pests good days to go out and do that would be um aries or the head and also leo the heart so those are both um definitely killing signs also virgo the bowels um is one that is a pretty <laughs> um pretty sort of killing sign although some references talk about flowers with that one so if you're planting flowers um that can work in that sign so um, so yeah but in sort of the chapter on signs, I go through each of those 12 and combine both what came out in interviews as well as what's in all, all the sort of written references about what you should do um, under that specific sign.
2: Very cool. I feel like I should be here taking notes for when I get my garden going again next year. I'm taking a break this year, but maybe next year we'll try again. Very cool. Um in that, something that I was curious about are ember days. Can you talk about those a little bit?
1: Yeah, so these are, I mean, this is really interesting in that it's a place where kind of that uh, connection that we talked about earlier of um, Christianity and planting by the signs, um, you know, they're kind of together and intertwined. Um, some people some people have asked me um, sort of, I guess coming from the perspective that those two are not compatible, you know, that Christian belief and uh, planting by the signs are somehow in um, opposition or clashing with one another. Um, But Ember Days are actually um, based on the liturgical calendar, and they come up um, four different times of the year. Uh, And I'm just trying to turn to my... My, my section on this so I can um, be sure to tell you correctly when they occur. Um, they are provided in the Old Farmer's Almanac and they are provided on most of the calendars that are based on the Old Farmer's Almanac. And the idea with them is that they are a killing they're a killing sign. So even if the the moon sign or um, zodiac sign is favorable, if it's an ember day, you don't you don't get out in the garden. Um, and if you hit a day that is both an ember day and a killing sign, then they are supposed to be like super super great days. So for for killing things, <laughs> let me clarify there. So um, for instance, um, one man that I interviewed who was, when he was young, was uh, responsible for helping his father go through and clear a big patch of land that was forested so that they could garden. He said, you know, on one of those killing sign, and Ember Days, he went out with just, um, he remembers going out with just a little hatchet as a kid and basically putting a nick in all of the trees that were growing there and that that would kill, you know, that would kill those, um, when it was both of those things. Um, so that's kind of, uh, interesting. Um, and I am (laughs) still trying to find my, the ember days, um, are winds, they are, here we go. Okay. So, um, I'm just going to read here um, and I'll start off with the so each section in the book, I always try to sort of start off with a quote from somebody, um, you know, during their interview that fits well. Um, So I'll start with that. This this is from Phil Case of Franklin County. Um, Quote. Now, the really killing days would be if you hit an ember day and a day that's a killing sign, an ember day on a Leo or Aries day. I'd stay in the house. I just tell people in my column to stay on the porch. (laughs) So um, he writes a newspaper column um, and also um, does a Facebook page for people that are on Facebook. You can search Planting by the Signs, and that's actually run by Phil Case um, out of Frankfurt. And he provides weekly overviews. of what the dates are based on the old farmer's almanac and then what you should do under those different signs. Um, Okay. So, so now back to Ember days and when they happen, Um, Ember days occur in clusters on Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of the same week, four times a year and are designated in liturgical calendars. These are meant to be days of prayer, fasting, and ordination of clergy, according to the old farmer's almanac. The origin of these days is somewhat debated, but writings early in the common era refer to them and they were likely tied to agricultural feasts and festivals. Prayer and Thanksgiving were important components of early Ember Day celebrations. Ember Days occur following the first Sunday in Lent with Sunday Pentecost, the Feast of the Holy Cross on September 14th and the Feast of St. Lucia on December 13th. and the latter two fall on specific dates, while the other two are dependent on Easter and thus can occur over a more than month-long period. Yeah, so I think I'll stop there reading on Ember Days, but there's more more info on them. Um, but that's kind of the basics of them. and. Um, this was another one that once it started coming up in interviews, I realized, oh, I need to ask about Ember Days. (laughs) I didn't know, you know, when I first started, I didn't know it was a thing, but then I, um, started asking that sort of like, what about Ember Days? Did you hear about those? What were you, you know, what was the deal? And, um, yeah, pretty much universally, uh, days that you didn't want to be out. And if you did have to be out, um, there was one, um, woman, Goldie Easton that I interviewed. She said she remembers, Uh, A couple times when they just had to be out planting their tobacco on an ember day in June, even though they didn't, even though that wasn't ideal, you know, that was when they had help or whatever. And she said she just felt like those were the hottest, hottest and most miserable days to have to be out um, doing that
2: um, when it hit that way. Well, that was what piqued my interest with the ember days initially when you first started talking about them and that feeling that it's so hot. I live in South Carolina and I'm sure in Kentucky, those days where you just go out and you're just like, what, how could it be this hot? I don't understand. <laughs> so, but that, And that connection between the liturgical calendar and the planting is super, super interesting. Um, another thing that I wondered if I could have you talk a little bit about, and because the the focus of the book is on planting and gardening agriculture. But you do get into a little bit of other activities that are governed by some of these signs. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've got a chapter called Beyond Planting, where I sort of cover the Um, I tried to cover anything that came up more than once, um, either in written references or in the interviews. Um, and so a number of, um, a number of times things like when you, um, butcher or slaughter an animal came up. Um, and that mainly, my understanding is that mainly coincides with kind of that, um, with the moon phase and with those two different halves with essentially, um, you know, if, between the new and full half, when normally, when, you know, above ground plants are favored, that's also, if you end up butchering your animal in that half, um, the meat will curl up and pop, there'll be a lot of moisture in it. Uh, So people talked about bacon or sausages or pork chops, any of those that the meat um, or ham, you know, would sort of curl up and pop. Um, Whereas if it was done on that other half of the moon cycle, then, you know, it would lay flat and wouldn't pop all over you (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. So that was an interesting one that came up multiple times. Um, And that you know, it sort of makes sense that this would have been something that people would have known when that's what everybody did, right? Everybody butchered their, you know, they, they had to, um, you know, to feed, to feed their families. Um, another one that comes up, um, is weaning, um, and, and, um, also kind of a sister to that is breaking bad habits. Uh, and this was one that I heard many times, um, essentially sort of the knees down is when you want to hit that, um, And, you know, people would say that if you started it when the signs were on the knees, or that's Capricorn, um, that by the time it got down to the feet or Pisces, that, um, you know, in the case of weaning, mama and baby are going to be done with each other. They they are ready to part. Um, Whereas if you hit it in a different sign, you know, a few different uh, people would say, you know, well, my neighbor, he weaned under the wrong sign and those darn cows were bawling for two weeks. Weeks, You know, or whatever. Um, and so, you know, sort of aiming for those, you know, six to six to eight day, um, sort of series, um, is something that came up another, a number of times, um, you know, dehorning, um, and castrating or fixing animals, um, Doing fencing, that was another one. Um, And in some of the older references, like in the Foxfire book, they'll talk about digging graves in that, um, again, it sort of coincides largely with those two halves um, of the moon cycle in terms of whether you will have extra dirt that you can't pack in well. Um, And if that's the case, and that's kind of on that between the new and full, um, that you know, it won't, things won't be packed in really well. So like your fence posts, for instance, might end up leaning over just because they're not, packed in really tightly. Um, whereas on that other part of the moon, um, and I think the idea is sort of third versus fourth quarter, it's going to be even more intense where the dirt is going to pack really tight and you might even have to get more dirt to pack in there. And your fence post is going to stay really sturdy or your, you know, um, electric line or whatever you know you're putting in the ground there um, is going to stay that way. Um, spreading gravel is another one. Same idea that, you know, between new and full, it's going to stay up, um, you know, on the surface and not get kind of sucked down into the dirt, which it will if you do on the other um, other half of that, that cycle. So um, it is interesting. I mean, a lot of these almanacs, like the old farmer's almanac, it's Um, all of the recommendations are contained in this, uh, best days table it's called. And there are all kinds of things on here. There are things like, um, cutting hair to encourage growth versus cutting hair to discourage growth, you know, perming your hair, washing windows, um, going camping. Anyway, there's like all kinds of different things, um, that are referred to. And, uh, that's true for a number of these, um, the, One example that I sometimes give, the Llewellyn's Moon Sign book, which Jane Post that I interviewed, she does this one, or she uses this one, and the sort of tagline is plan your life by the cycles of the moon, Um, and she was telling me that uh, she and her husband do workshops on... on things like inoculating mushroom logs and various um activities. And in this Llewellyn's Moon sign book, there are specific favorable days for communication. And not even just communication, but there's different days for digital or electronic communication versus analog communication and so if she's hanging up flyers in town she'll try to hit a favorable day for that analog communication whereas if she's sending out the email announcement she'll try to hit it on a favorable day for digital communication so um you know it's just really really kind of fascinating Um, you know you could you could truly if you were Following these things quite strictly, you know, you you would be very sort of planned out and regimented about almost everything that you do. It's, um, yeah, lots of different um, potential applications of it.
2: Very cool. Um, Can you talk a little bit how you've applied the signs to your own garden? I know you talk about that in the last chapter and just what um, results you saw personally in your garden when you started following
1: Yeah, I mean, so... Ideally, I'm I'm trying to hit things you know as much as I can on their good, um, you know when you're supposed to, um, but that's it doesn't always work out um, you know in some cases like um, so in the in the epilogue there when I talk about my garden um, that was during 2020 right so it was um, when the pandemic had hit um, and I for instance I had bought transplants for. I think it was my cucumbers, which meant, you know, I didn't know what day that they had been planted under, but I did at least transplant them under favorable day. Um, you know, people, there are a number of examples that are discussed in the book that come up um, as when it's especially important. So people talk about, um, you know, especially if you're growing like field corn or, um, you know, corn for cornmeal that has to dry out in the field. Um, people talk about the difference of the ears staying up when water can get in there and then it's going to mold versus them actually dropping down, um, and being able to cure better because they shed water. Um, in my garden, um, because a couple people said for root crops, especially, um, that it makes a difference. Um, in particular, Susanna Lynn, who, again, she uses the biodynamic calendar and almanac. Sometimes the biodynamic one and like old farmer's almanac dates will line up, but sometimes they don't. So that, that can be a little confusing if you're trying to cross-reference uh, multiple calendars or almanacs, um, but she said she really feels like it makes a big difference for root crops um, for sort of doing that kind of pulling pulling the seed and the roots um, deeper into into the ground essentially. And so um, I have trouble with a number of root crops. I mean, um, carrots and beets are just so darn finicky. Um, and so I felt like, okay, well I, I can, you know, I can make sure to try to plant those on a good favorable root day because if it gives me a little bit of an edge, then, you know, it's worth it. Cause I've definitely tried planting them multiple years where I've gotten nothing. So, (laughs) um, so that's one that I, you know, I try to try to hit, um, for sure, when I can, and um, and yeah, I think um, harvesting is something else that um, you know for a number like. Uh, This year is the first year I'm growing potatoes, um, mainly just because I was given some seed potatoes. Um, And I'm going to be sure to dig those um, in that fourth quarter um, and under a good sign because that one came up multiple times in interviews. People said essentially that if you're in that, that part, if you're in the old part of the moon, then even if you stick the potato all the way through with a fork right while you're harvesting it with a pitchfork, that it'll heal over. Um, and cure well, well, whereas if you're in those earlier quarters, um, you know, it will rot and it won't, it won't store. So, um, so that's one that I'm going to be sure, you know, that I, I try to, when I, whenever I harvest my potatoes, I'm going to need to look at the calendar and plan that out um, and be sure to hit, hit that time. Well,
2: good luck with the potatoes. That's amazing. <laughs> you have to write yeah, another <laughs> to let us know. How- <laughs> oh, that's great, Sarah. Thank you so much. We've taken up a lot of your time. Um, do you have any new projects that you're working on right now that you'd like to talk about?
1: I I do not. Um, I'm really yeah. I'm pretty much just focused right now on. Um, yeah, I'm getting the word out about this one and, uh, and spending a lot of time in my garden. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of my focus right now. We'll, we'll see what might be on the horizon in the future, but nothing at the moment.
2: <laughs> well Amazing. Dr. Sarah Hall, thank you again so much for being on the show today. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
1: Sounds good. Thanks.